This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker. We have Marie Kazan, founder at Tabula Rasa Ventures, that invests in psychedelic space, which you've heard right, it's psychedelic space. So today we're going to talk about you know, investing in uh, really tough, highly regulated fields. Uh, that need FDA approval and stuff like that. So, Marik, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Tabula Rasa Ventures. Definitely, yeah. So, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And um, to give you a little bit of background, so we started Tabula Rasa around two years ago. Uh, most of the work that I do is uh, focused on counterculture, controversial advocacy. So really looking at stigmatized and alternative communities and seeing how can specifically entrepreneurship build a foundation for greater access to resources uh, and human rights when large human rights foundations might not necessarily um, provide uh, that infrastructure. Um, so I spent a couple of years working on technology for the sex worker rights movement. I spent a couple of years contributing to the decentralized governance space uh, and over the last two years have been primarily focused in uh, psychedelics. And what Tabula Rasa is, is we're really trying to build an infrastructure for uh, investing and entrepreneurship within the psychedelic space and Tabula Rasa is one of the things that we work on uh, which focuses specifically on incubation and being able to make investments currently via syndicate but looking to uh, continue raising a fund over the next 12 months uh, and hitting a 25 million funds that we can invest out of ourselves. That's really interesting and let's first discuss the psychedelic space. So I imagine that I hope most of my listeners, I mean, I do not hope, but I imagine that most of my listeners know what that is, but let's go in depth into this. So what does investing in psychedelic space mean? Because I mean, psychedelics themselves are highly, highly regulated and somewhat illegal substances, right? So how, what does it mean to invest in that space? Yeah, so they're they're not as illegal as you might think, quote unquote. Uh, there's there's certain compounds that are uh, federally legal. So ketamine is federally legal for treatment resistant depression currently. So there's more than 100 ketamine clinics throughout the country that your doctor could basically prescribe you ketamine to be able to go and get either a ketamine infusion in a facility or be able to get um, ketamine assisted therapy for treatment resistant depression. Um, so even in the US, there's already kind of an open market with one psychedelic compound um, or pseudo psychedelic compound. Uh, and then we have um, other countries uh, across the globe that have uh, less regulations around uh, specific other substances like psilocybin. So psilocybin is the active ingredient in uh, what people term magic mushrooms. So just like THC, um, is the psychoactive uh, compound within cannabis, or at least one of them. Uh, psilocybin is that psychoactive compound for mushrooms. Uh, and so psilocybin is legal within Jamaica. Um, it's legal in a very particular form uh, in, um, in the Netherlands as well. Um, and so there's already businesses sprouting up in those places that are basically using um, psilocybin and uh, whole plant mushrooms to be able to do everything from consumer packaged goods to retreat centers um, and everything, uh, everything else along the supply chain. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what the market looks like today. And I think in the next couple of years, right now, there's a lot of policy in place and a lot of research that's been done to basically get um, psilocybin and MDMA through the FDA approval process um, mm -hmm. somewhere around 2022, 2023, uh, specifically targeting treatment resistant depression and treatment resistant PTSD. So it's very likely that we'll see those changes in policy in the next two to three years. Uh, and that will open up uh, a market in, in a way that we just haven't seen before. Right. I think I've checked the stats like a while ago and I remember 
there was a huge number of people in the United States specifically suffering from depression. So um, we're looking forward to see those regulations going by uh, the Senate and hopefully they'll get approved. Um, but let's go a little bit more in depth into what you invest in. So um, can you give like two examples of the companies that you've invested in so that, you know, we all have some understanding of how, what specifically can be invested in this field? Yeah, so some of the um, some of the deal memos that we've written and passed around our network are uh, for one is for Maya Health, which is a really incredible company um, building uh, tech for the psychedelic assisted um, therapy process, you could say, or for practitioners to be able to do things like data management, capturing data, understanding it, but also things like screening, for instance, um, and just many other uh, roles that that technology can play. Another one is a company called um, Bexin Biomedical, which is focused specifically on ketamine uh, for pain management. Um, so that's more of a typical uh, kind of FDA approval, drug development sort of play. Um, so yeah, those are some of the companies we're uh, investigating. One media company right now and looking to um, issue a deal memo for them. And then another kind of more drug development company that's focused on um, analogs and derivatives of MDMA as a compound as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of different areas to focus on, but I would say the most accessible ones right now are basically, uh, you know, uh, media companies because they're not actually touching the substance. They're really just uh, writing right. about it. And those tend to be some of the first acquisitions actually that happen in kind of newer industries. That's what we saw in cannabis, at least. Um, there's a lot of data uh, that media companies typically have about uh, customers and consumers. And so um, there's a lot of interest in them as acquisition targets. Um, and then uh, there's also kind of the standard drug development plays, which is you know definitely a much longer time horizon. You're looking at 10 to 12 years, um, possibly more. Uh, to really be able to take a drug through the FDA approval process for a specific ailment. And then finally, what we're most passionate about is the technology. Um, there's a lot of tech that needs to be built for the psychedelic-assisted therapy process. Psychedelic-assisted therapy is very different than traditional therapy. It's significantly more intensive. Um, you know, you have, you know, a psilocybin-assisted session could last for eight hours. Ibogaine-assisted sessions could last 20 hours. Um, so you really need a lot of infrastructure in place to be able to actually facilitate that and get real-time feedback and be able to um, modify your interaction with a patient, for instance, um, and be able to then take that data, really be able to uh, understand what types of people are most prone to having, you know, psychotic breaks, for instance, or schizophrenic breaks. Um, uh, if if done improperly or even have a background of that. So there's there's a lot of considerations that are taken into place when you're thinking about patients uh, that technology can really help us um, aid and be able to just develop a significantly less harmful uh, and more forward-thinking ecosystem. So we're definitely passionate about the tech, especially as it relates to the, the PAP process itself. Mm -hmm. Got it. So this again sounds like a very very complicated field both in tech and specifically in regulation so what's your recommendation to founders who you know who feel that there is the same issue and who want to solve this problem but don't really know where to begin with so what would you recommend to them so let's say they have some idea but basically no funding no uh no money in the bank account where should they go first yeah, I mean, I would say that like contributing to uh, either an organization in the space or a startup in the space, really reading about the space first, to kind of understand the lay of the land. I think like just in general, even when it's not psychedelic entrepreneurship, you know, it's just any entrepreneurship. One of the first few things that's best to do is like take your idea and basically put it through the shredder with, you know, 100 customer interviews. 
um, and just see, and not even customer interviews, just like ecosystem interviews, you could call them, right? Like understanding how that market works and getting a perspective from all of the different players to really understand how would they interact with the technology like this? Because I think too often entrepreneurs just go out and they only interview who they think their customer is for what they think their idea will be. Um, and that tends to limit your scope and tends to give you a very you know, biased perspective on what's actually needed. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to understand how that product or that service fits into the ecosystem as a whole and to who, you know, and interact with not only your customers, but who your customers interact with. And so I would say, you know, spend time, you know, spend at least a few months just like really reading, talking to folks, understanding this ecosystem, whether your solution is actually, you know, um, going to solve something or it's redundant and there's other people who whose work you can contribute to first to learn more. Um, so yeah, just kind of learn, uh, learn first, uh, you know, come in humble, um, understand that there's, you know, decades of work that have been done before, um, before you. And there's a lot to learn from that, uh, not only from an entrepreneurial sense, but also from an advocacy sense, also from an ethics sense. Um, this is, you know, a very different field because you're dealing with substances and compounds that literally, you know, are capable of changing human consciousness. You know, we've never, there's never been a product like this. There will never be a service like this. Um, you can fundamentally change human consciousness with, you know, a tiny dose of a specific compound here. And that's a very different way of interacting with capitalism, with startups and investment. Um, than if it was more of a traditional technology company, because there's a lot more at stake, frankly, and um, there's right. a lot more ethical considerations to be had about how this is rolled out, the pace at which it's rolled out, and the considerations that are taken into place as we build. Right, that's true. And you mentioned something that uh, I get asked about a lot, which is feedback collection. I'm not an expert in that. And I feel like in my previous startups, I had a horrible uh, strategy for feedback collection. Probably that's why they failed. <laughs> but what's your recommendation to founders basically in any field in terms of feedback collection? So I know there are some tools that allow you to be like 100 bucks and get, I know, 20 um, forms from potential customers or from random people uh, heavily targeted. What's your recommendation to, to founders out there? Should they just use those tools? Should they try to actually run ads for their, uh, you know, uh, submission forms or what's, what's your recommendation? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the type of product in the market. Um, I think that like qualitative interviews have been significantly more useful to me before. And, um, you know, I haven't, it's uh, sometimes, yeah, you need like just surveys to, to go and like get a sense of like a brand or something and like how a brand would perform. Um, what I would say though, is like, especially if this is like an idea for a company and that company will have many different roles that it plays um, to different customers and internally with itself. I think it's just, again, like important to get an ecosystem type perspective. So literally just getting on the phone with movers and shakers in those industries and hearing their perspectives on some of these things um, and how you're thinking about this and getting feedback from them. Um, and then just kind of, you know, jotting down notes and, you know, you'll start building out the mental models just naturally for how to go about interacting with the, that ecosystem. But it's really, you know, I think it's just about getting on the phone, talking to people, sharing your idea and not being glued to your idea, allowing for it to reform and to really um, just completely change. Like the first startup that I was like really heavily involved in was um, a company called Iliac. And uh, it started out with basically uh, an idea of, you know, how do we, how do we actually get um, pornography to be able to compete on ethics uh, and better standards for sex workers instead of 
um, on price instead of kind of these subscription models or this premium content. Um, and you know, that quickly led me down a path of pitching what I thought would be a great idea, which was like ethical pornography. Um, and quickly I found after talking to actual, um, performers, actual sex workers, I very quickly became educated on the fact that these ideas of what is ethical pornography is actually significantly disparaging and is actually significantly harmful to sex workers because there are already a lot of standards in place, um, to show how ethical, um, pornography is and painting that there could be a category of specifically ethical pornography takes away um, the power and the voices of many sex workers who are already conducting themselves to the highest standard um, and are already building things that are, are truly ethical and equitable in their foundation. And so quickly that idea reformed and, you know, kind of transformed into us attempting to build um, an infrastructure for performers to just be able to have significantly greater power within the adult industry and in sex work in general is being able to have greater leverage when they interacted with um, production studios and agents and directors. Um, and yeah, our startup didn't succeed as well, uh, but we learned a lot and we were building an infrastructure that was actually needed. And the reasons why it failed wasn't because we weren't solving a need. It was more just our personal financial situations and we weren't able to, you know, bring in capital fast enough. And it was also the political climate of the Trump administration coming in and the changes that happened around, um, legislation around pornography and sex work at the time. So there were a lot of things that kind of added together, but we were building something for the ecosystem that everyone was excited for and willing to pay for. It's just, we didn't have enough time to, you know, see that forward. So I think it's really important to allow for your idea to change is the moral of that story and allow for yourself to be building something that actually resonates with the whole ecosystem and really understanding what each player has, the feedback that each player has and being able to feed that back into the startup that you're working on. Right, right. Being able to pivot super early on—that's that's way that's that's great. So let's go back to to Bularasa Ventures and let's talk about your personal basically investment preferences. So what are the things that you're looking on on the pitch deck when you're considering a company for an investment? Yeah. So some of the things we look for is like what any VC would look for is, um, you know, what is what is their business model and like, you know, how are they actually going to be financially stable and be able to scale that to some capacity. Um, and we also are really looking thoroughly at team. Um, who are who are these individuals? Who are they connected to? What are their intentions with this? Are they really considering uh, implementing impact-focused KPIs into what they're building? And this is kind of where it transitions into more of an impact investing model. Um, we're also really looking at, yeah, like underrepresented founders and also just you know, again, what is that startup doing to be able to provide more patient focused impact instead of kind of these broad systemic focused, um, you know, ideas of the impact that typically can leave people in actually a worse place than they were before that startup got started. So, um, yeah, just really, you know, team, who's the team, who's behind this project, what is their path to financial stability, and then everything to do with impact and how they hope to kind of go about the space um, and really actually add true value that improves people's lives and fulfills them instead of just kind of pushing another product out on the market. Right, right. That's quite a standard. I'm actually surprised that it's, you know, standard sets that I generally see. I mean, I generally hear from VCs. So let's move on to talking about deal sourcing. That's a question that I personally ask a lot. Uh, and how do you find those deals? So how do you find those companies that you think will change this field that will become the next unicorns? How, how do you find them? Yeah, so a lot of them come to us because we've been in the space for a long time and people feel that we're probably one of the more values aligned investing groups in the space. 
Um, what I would also say that we built, we built out uh, a database, uh, which has the most investable opportunities in psychedelics, uh, to date. Um, at least I believe that's the case. Uh, it's called fractal. So people can, um, just browse, read research, uh, be able to see investable opportunities. And so people, entrepreneurs want to be listed there as well. And so we're able to get in touch with them through that, um, too. Uh, then we have kind of a media arm that does conferences and events. And that's another way that we're able to find deals, but really just meet people in the ecosystem and get to know people better who then can look at us and say, you know, these folks are really doing something right. Um, and are really prioritizing impacts, uh, even if they're dealing with capital and, you know, high growth startups. Um, and these are folks that we want to introduce our community to and, and our, um, our entrepreneurs to, because there's, you know, everyone in the psychedelic space is entrepreneurial. Uh, everyone wants to contribute something because people are so passionate, you know, people have had profound experiences with these compounds. And so, Everyone's passionate. It's just a question of how do you channel that passion to create tangible, um, tangible changes that actually benefit people. Uh, and uh, yeah, like the being able to um, provide people with platforms and uh, a pathway towards actually making their you know ideas and dreams something more tangible and taking their passions and making it something actionable. I think is something that everyone's trying to figure out how to empower and to do better. And I think that we've done a great job of helping, helping entrepreneurs specifically be able to take that route forward. That's great. And speaking of helping uh, entrepreneurs, I want to get back to the thing that you mentioned earlier, which is an accelerator slash incubator program of Tabula Rasa Ventures. What, how is it different from your major investment uh, uh, operations, basically? Yeah, so we're looking at um, we're looking at people who are uh, even more tied to specifically, I guess, the more um, uh, psychedelic. Uh, I mean, the psychedelic community to even say the psychedelic community is very widespread. There's a lot of different factions, um, but I would say the more um, you know psychedelic uh, like OG community, the folks who have been there for you know several decades of time. Um, so folks who are much more connected to that specific community, folks who might be coming in and um, haven't had the opportunity to build startups before um, for a variety of reasons, um, but are very entrepreneurial in, in uh, how they work. Uh, we're looking to really help underrepresented founders. Um, so two thirds of our first batch is female um, and we're hoping to continue replicating that um, for uh, batches further. There's a lot of incredible female entrepreneurs in this space. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's something that's not really being paid attention to too much. Um, so yeah, so there's, uh, th those are some of the things that we focus on for the incubator. Um, and yeah, just really, also allowing for the batch to be well-rounded and really helping one another work and really building an, an environment of trust with one another so they can help each other grow. Cause you really need, you know, any entrepreneur needs a community around them to be able to go forward yeah. and be successful. And, you know, building that community, I think is really, really important for us. That's absolutely right. And speaking of, uh, back to incubator who should consider applying to an incubator and who should just go try uh, to raise money straight from Tabul Rasa yeah so the folks who you know if you have a data room prepped and you have revenue or you have a great business model and you're like stacked in regards to your team and you've you know you're a serial entrepreneur then it probably makes sense to um, come to us more as uh, writing a deal memo if you're you know earlier on in the process if you're trying to you know, if you have a really great idea, if you're well connected to the psychedelics community, um, then I would say that probably the incubation program is better. Um, 
but yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of capital out there right now that's looking to put, you know, uh, put itself into psychedelics and the psychedelic ecosystem. We're definitely a very particular flavor of um, investment in the space. Uh, but I think, you know, there's for folks who are looking for, you know, I think people who are just earlier on should probably seek an incubation model and people who already have all their documents in order, um, you know, kind of the all the pieces of documentation that they need, not just pitch decks, but um, everything else that goes along with actual, like an actual raise. I think, um, yeah, those folks can probably seek out capital. But if you're earlier on, then probably trying to pair up with an incubator first to build that community, build that data room and really go in strong, I think is, um, is going to be better. Right. So you mentioned something that I personally pay quite a bit of attention, which are documents that are basically required by the investors. What do you think are the major documents that the uh, founder needs to bring with uh, to, to raise money? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a long list um, that we have and we kind of share with our folks. And this is actually something that um, our co-founder, Henry Mariano, would be significantly better at talking about. Um, he's he's in charge of kind of helping a lot of these startups prep their data rooms. Um, what I would say, though, is, you know, kind of standard, um, all the formation documents, so articles of incorporation, things like that, um, financial projections, um, your pitch deck, um, you know, any sort of um, uh, customer testimonials can be uh, can be helpful, product demos. Um, so a lot can go in a data room. It also depends on the type of product, the type of service. But, um, yeah, there's uh, there's quite a few things that need to be there. We try to prepare startups, especially through the incubator, to be more on the heavier side um, of documentation so that they can just kind of go through and everything's uh, laid out very clearly and neatly for the investor. Um, and uh, yeah, we're able to just kind of go through and get that startup funded and not worry. Uh, worry That investor doesn't have to worry about asking all the questions um, and then having the founder, you know, stumble stumble around them. They know that this founder has done the diligence for themselves and has done the work to know exactly what an investor is going to ask and answer those questions beforehand. So that's really how we think about assembling a data room. Mm -hmm. Got it. Nice. And yeah, you mentioned the major documents. So thanks for that. Hopefully that's a revision for most of my listeners, because uh, there is an episode on five most essential documents that you need to bring to an investor to, turn, uh, to raise money. So uh, if you haven't listened to that one yet, go on and check it out in the description of the episode. But we are moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, so feel free to, you know, if you want to keep up with our work, um, go to tabularasa.ventures. Um, I'm sure Constantine will include the link um, somewhere near the podcast, but feel free to go there. Feel free to go to fractal.space. Um, that, that's another link that can be provided and check out the database and kind of the activity that's going on. Um, outside of that, you know, get um, start following organizations like MAPS, MAPS.org, MAPS.org. Um, they're probably the most notable for uh you know, organization in the space and, you know, just start, just start reading, um, start reading about psychedelics. There's so much stuff out there. And I think it's important to just be knowledgeable and know what's out there and what these compounds are great for and where things can go wrong. Um, and just being more conscious and more conscious citizen, I think, um, you know, educating yourself on all the changes that are happening and seeing, you know, how can you either psychoactivate your life or allow for the people in your community to do so in a really safe, um, in a safe way, as we kind of move into this next decade of, rolling out these compounds in, in the best way possible. Right. That's great advice. And my, my call to action will be pretty much the same. Just go on and check out what's in the description of this episode, because recently I started including some 
decent links to that, not as I used to, you know, just the official website of the, the person I'm interviewing, but also a bunch of other helpful resources. So go and check it out. At this point, we'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Marie, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge in this field. I think that was a really special episode. Never covered anything about psychedelics. So thank you for sharing uh, your, your knowledge in this field. Yeah, thanks so much, Constantine. Really appreciate it.